Hi, my name is David Speed. And I'm Adam Brazier. And this is the Creative Rebels podcast. Featuring inspirational stories and practical advice from some of the most prolific and successful creators in the world. Adam and I have co-founded multiple creative businesses and turned our varied passions into our careers. There's never been a better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people will tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to show you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. This is all a bit weird, isn't it? This is very weird. This is the first time we've not been in the same room together whilst recording a podcast. Yes, but we're making it work. I think it's been so inspiring to see how everyone is making the most of this situation. And although I'm although there are a lot of Instagram lives going on right now, but um, I think I think really it has really brought us together. And I saw something cool the other day that was saying it's physical distancing. It's not social distancing. Yeah. Um, Cause everyone's calling it social distancing, but really we're probably more connected and closer to people in our lives than we ever have been before. Yeah. I feel like it's a really nice time at the moment just to see people come together to, to see people like make the most of technology and the fact that you can just pick up your phone, have a group conversation with all of your friends at the same time. Like I'm pretty spending more time talking to my friends digitally now than I would have when I could have actually left the house to go and see them. It's crazy, isn't yeah. it? It's almost like you need it taken away from you before you actually realise like what you've got and, yeah. and the, like the more that you, be, you should be doing. There's definitely a lot of... Uh, a lot of silver linings to the clouds that are out there at the moment. But that being said, there are also a lot of clouds. What I've noticed is quite a defeatist attitude from some people. So yeah. like, obviously things are really, really hard. And like we're responding in the face of potentially losing our business and putting 10 members of staff out of jobs. And I'm so excited. I feel like we're back at the start again. So every like every new opportunity now, like because it gets to the stage where after you've been doing this for 10 years, you get an email in from a client that's a big project. It's another big project. Yeah. And you're just like, it's just a, okay. oh, yeah, yeah just, oh, we're doing that for so-and-so. Okay, cool. And it doesn't become, whereas in the early days, when you get that, that email, it's just like, whoa, we've so got that exciting, excitement again. Yeah. Like when we get a new project in now, it's like, oh, damn. Like, and we've all been brainstorming the teams come together and we're thinking of all of these new and different ideas that we can do from the comfort of our kitchen tables that are going to be projects that we're going to make so i think i i I, so i specifically what made me think of this as i saw someone this morning who was saying in response to the freelancer um pay thing that's that's happened you're not going to get paid as a freelancer until it looks like June. Yeah. And I mean, even then, I reckon they're going to make you jump through a lot of hoops for it. And it's it's probably going to be a difficult time. So the guy that was commenting about it was saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to have to borrow money off my parents and dip into my savings. Hopefully I'll be able to make it through till June. But didn't mention at one point, like, I'm going to adapt my services. I'm going to look at new ways to create income, knowing that I've got some money potentially coming in in June that's going to save me. What can I be doing now? It was just this kind of defeatist thing of how am I going to wait out this time until I get some money in June? And I just thought like I couldn't I couldn't do that it, yeah. it would be I feel like we've got such a such a great opportunity at the moment to redevelop ourselves to come up with new ideas to really think of stuff that's just like you wouldn't have come up with before because you'd been too busy doing the thing whereas now you do have a bit of time to think about well how if I can sell and market to people in this current environment and do it well when this isn't the case anymore you're going to be in such a better position you're going to be able to like you'll absolutely smash it because you can do it in hard times and if you can do it in hard times then when it gets easy it's like oh it's amazing yeah i suppose for us we have that knowledge that we started this business during a recession yeah so we've been through that really really like that dip um and so we've always known that if another one comes then we'll survive that one too and uh, and it just comes down to believing in yourself believing in what it is that you do maybe having to evolve and change a little bit maybe changing your services maybe changing what you offer but your core skills are your core skills and no matter what it is that you do as a creative person there are ways to repurpose those skills yeah. and and offer them online it's like using a different medium of like paint or something it's like if you're an artist and you've been doing it for years it's like when i started spray painting it's like i'd never done that before but because i had years of skills 
as an artist I managed to pick that really quickly so it's just yeah repurposing your skills to a new medium or a new format it's like finding a new place that that can exist and I feel like now is a perfect time to look at the social networks you haven't used before look at other digital places where you've not actually spent your time and think well now I can actually give those a go because that's the way the world's moving so how can I adapt to that yeah and and I think during this time we always say that like helping as many people as possible is the best business tactic that there is. And I know that sounds cynical that helping people is a business tactic. Do not help people in order to get business because that just doesn't work. But the more you do help people down the line, the more opportunities do arise from that. And so if you, during this time, there's a lot of people that need a lot of help. What is it that you offer that is unique, whether it's a form of entertainment, whether it's a form of education in the current climate, those are the two yeah. key things that you that you can utilize is if you can entertain people or you can educate them or preferably both. If you can do those things, then like you're golden, you've just got yeah. then all you've got to do is work on amplifying your voice and getting your message out there. Yeah, if you're good enough to educate someone and entertain them at the same time, that is a huge skill. That's something that's definitely worth trying to develop now because that will just really benefit you going forward. I think this is a great time as well to just start learning things and evolving your skills that you currently have because you might start something now that isn't that great that you're kind of you're putting out and it's it's good enough, but it's not as good as it could be. But if you just keep going with that, it's going to turn into something that is really, really great. I know a lot of people are scared at the moment to be seen to be doing the wrong thing. And what do you mean really by the wrong would, thing? So, but, so basically people don't want to be seen to be taking advantage, quote unquote, okay. of COVID-19. And the only way you are taking advantage is if you are selling hand sanitizers at double the price. It's like, do not feel guilty or bad about putting out your content, about jumping on a bunch of instagram lives about uh, like helping as many people as you can uh, like and and telling them about what it is that you do like if you sell prints like don't feel bad that because it's covid19 and a lot of people are watching their pennies that you're selling your prints it's like that's cool because maybe you'll brighten someone's day if you find the right person who wants that print it's like marie folio talked about it's like if you don't put that out there you're stealing from people it's like people need this people want this the skills you have the talents that you have other people need them other people need them at this time especially like a lot of people are going through hard times at the moment so to see something positive online that you can share educate them entertain them in some way that's what they need so yeah now is a more important time to do those things than ever it makes me think of this week's episode as well so um you mentioned earlier about how your your skills that you have already are are easily transferable um the skills in whatever your current job is, because I know a lot of nine to fivers listen to this show and wherever it is you're working currently, something we've talked about in the past, but you are probably developing skills within that that nine to five that will be useful for you if you want to do a, something more creative. This week's guest, Tilly, was working in training and courses and all of that sort of stuff. And, and you can really see that in her business. You can really see the way that she's taken what she learned in her nine to five and applied it to her business. Always look at what skills and abilities you have. And if you don't think you have any, you definitely do. But maybe just ask someone else what they think your skills and abilities are, because that's always a good way to find them. But yeah, take those skills and abilities and think, how can I use those in what I'm currently doing? in something else like even if that's kind of yeah as Tilly's done something you're using in your job currently how can you put that into something that you're passionate about so if you are good at marketing if you do know design how can you like put that into something you're interested in even if that's not starting your own business it's working for someone else so if you're interested in sports for example and you're a graphic designer why don't you reach out to some sports teams and say would you like me to redesign your logo or something like that that just is an entertaining thing which could potentially lead to something but it doesn't have to lead to something you can just enjoy doing it yeah so on that example if you reached out to every single football club from any division in the uk via dm because they've all got Instagram pages. Yeah. If you reached out to every single one, I bet one of them would say, yes, we'll, you can do something with our logo. And then that's a piece of content. And then you take that that content and say, look what I just did for Wolves FC. Yeah. And then you and then you take that to every basketball team and, and just yeah. roll like, from there. Yeah, if you've got a dream, for example, to redesign Man United's logo, then yeah, go to your local club, start there and just make your way up. It's the same as everything in business. Like start small, get a portfolio and work your way up and you'll get known as the person who does that as a job. Yeah, and just have patience because you know that the that the Man United job 
that gig is not coming until you're 15 years in. Yeah. It's just not. So, but knowing that that's the journey that you've, that you're going to go on, it's like, it's cool knowing that. And and this time, like it's such a good time to just sit down, be with yourself and be creative. Like, like I've seen people saying that they've completed Netflix already. They've, they've run through every single series and it's like, don't be like use this time use this time effectively because when it's gone you you people will actually be saying oh do you remember when it was COVID-19 and yeah. I was at home and I could sit on my uh, in my porch or where, wherever they are do you know what I mean and, and like let's sit in this time and recognize where we are and what an actual huge opportunity this is cool so let's let's get into this week's episode this week's guest is Tilly Walns Tilly is the founder of Tilly and the Buttons, which is not a 1950s band. It is a sewing <laughs> brand that offers sewing patterns and online classes to help people make their own clothes. Tilly used to work a proper job, but turned an interest into a passion and her passion into a career. This episode is literally a masterclass in how to build a brand, a community and a successful business. In this episode, we talk about being your own boss, growing a brand and focusing on your audience you're going to create something that a small group of people are going to absolutely love and they're going to tell all their friends about it and that's how to build a business that's really going to make an impact. Hi Tilly. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, So first question would be how did you get into sewing? Was it something that you'd always loved as a kid or did you find it later on? No, so I came to it relatively late in life. Um, I was working in an office and spent all my time on computers and just one day just thought, I just really want to do something creative with my hands. Um, I'd always been really creative as a kid, but you know what it's like when you grow up and you sort of go down the sort of classic route of university and working in an office and, and you sort of forget what it is to make something so I thought oh I'll put myself onto some course and I thought initially I'll do pottery um and then randomly just thought oh okay I'll give sewing a go so I took a, a really basic beginner's course and just from that first minute I entered the room I just thought right this is it this is for me fell completely head over heels in love with sewing and yeah haven't looked back it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Just imagine if you'd done pottery, <laughs> like your life would be completely different. I know, I know. Yeah, so it was only, it was just over 10 years ago. And what do you think it was about sewing that kind of cooked you so quickly? It's some, I think it's something about dreaming up an idea in your head and um, then being able to realise it and see it come to life with your hands. So taking a flat piece of fabric and just cutting it out into a particular shape, stitching it together and gradually seeing this 3D form come to life. Um, and then also being able to wear it. Yeah. And so it has that practical function as well as being a beautiful creative process. And um, yeah, just that amazing feeling when someone says to you, oh, I love your coat or I love your dress. Where did you get it? And you're like, eh, made it. <laughs> <laughs> Is everything you're wearing today made? Uh, not my tights, but yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so obviously when you did your course, you didn't instantly then think, right, I'm going to start up a business around no, sewing. No, not at it all. Was, uh, gradual process yeah it was a gradual process so um I never thought that I wanted to start a business it just wasn't for me at all I thought I was always going to work in like a national or international organization and just be you know like a cog in the wheel in a in a good way I liked doing that um but after I'd started sewing I decided to start a blog because at the time like sewing is quite popular now but Mm. when I started I didn't know anyone else who sewed um, and it just wasn't really a thing that people of my sort of age did. But I'd found some blogs online where people all over the world were talking about sewing and just really geeking out about like technical details and patterns and fabrics and construction. And I thought, OK, well, if I start a blog, then I can connect to these people and we can chat because it was, you know, it was pre Instagram, Twitter, where people would actually leave really long, thoughtful comments and sort of make friends online that way. So I started doing that and um, it just, I don't know, it just it just sort of sparked something in me gradually where I felt so fulfilled in creating this blog from scratch myself and actually producing something that was completely mine and I could just, yeah, 
take it in whatever direction I wanted. And just gradually, it sort of gave me the confidence to think, okay, actually, maybe one day I'll be my own boss. Um, and then bit by bit through the blog, I would get people saying, either blog readers or people I knew, oh, actually, I would love to do that as well. I'd love to make my own clothes. But I find sewing patterns really intimidating. I don't understand the jargon. They assume that you already know how to sew because mm. they were basically aimed at those older generations who who had learned to sew at school or had grown up making their own clothes. Um, and we don't do that now. So um, I just thought, oh, yeah, I mean, there's, some, there's definitely something in that. I really want people, more people to find this love of making their own clothes like I have done. And at the time I was working, so I was working in the film industry, but in a sort of training and education role. Um, so I had that sort of hat on of wanting to, I was designing learning resources and courses and things and sort of always thinking about how to teach people things. But also I was working in audience development with like art house films. So it always, I was always sort of thinking about, okay, how do you get more people interested in this really niche subject that can be quite difficult? Um, so yeah, I don't know, I guess like naturally I just felt like, oh, I should apply that to sewing and, and do something that's going to help make sewing really accessible and inspiring to more people. So I didn't really quite know what that would look like initially. I thought it was going to be more sort of just purely online resources. Um, and I just started writing some blog posts that were aimed at people like me who wanted to sew but didn't have a clue where to start. Um, and those blog posts just sort of took the blog to the next level really I mean looking back at them now they look really amateurish and you know photography was terrible it was like my kitchen and the dark lighting was terrible and um, they're really long but they really helped me to build an audience for my blog um so that grew quite big and then um in what way were you marketing this well, I wasn't really. I was just writing lots of content that I thought would be useful mm. to people. And I guess sort of networking a little bit online in that I was part of, you know, a couple of different sewing forums and commenting on other people's blogs and things like that. But I think it's one of those things where a lot of people were actually saying to me, oh, what are your SEO tricks? And how are you, you know, who's doing all your SEO? And it's like, what? I, I don't know anything about that. I'm just writing content that I would want to read and mm. that I think will be helpful so that people will just share it themselves. So, you know, putting it on Pinterest and, and that's sort of how the blog grew really quite organically. Basically what Google wants you to do is make good content that people are going to and, and they want to know that when they're visiting your site, it's going to be relevant for what they're searching for. Yeah. And so really the best SEO hack is to just write informative stuff that people are interested yeah, in. Yeah, like exactly. Stuff that people want to share. Yeah, yeah. just be helpful, mm. basically. Yeah, because I because I guess everyone's trying to game it, aren't they? And 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 because I mean, back in like 2010 when you were starting, that would be the times where you could like just keep yeah. repeating words over and over again and um, but you still see it now actually it's funny where yeah. you'll see people's footers and it's just got like the list of every town in the uk because they <laughs> want to kind of appeal to everyone in there and they think if someone searches for dry cleaners stoke that yeah. that'll happen to come up because they've got that written down and once upon it well like 10 12 years ago that would have worked mm -hmm. great and it's funny that people still try and apply that rather than actually just make good content yeah, because people click around so quickly. So what you want is someone to click on your site and then stay and then see like see it immediately. What is it that you do? How are you different? And how is this going to be helpful for me? And then to, just to keep clicking around and stay because your content's good. So you're blogging away. At what point did it become clear that this might be a business? It was a really gradual thing. There wasn't one moment where I was like, right, I'm going to start a business and start making money from this. It was, and especially because I hadn't come from that mindset initially of wanting to. Um, so it was sort of like bit by bit, this gradual thing where I was trying to sort of, I guess, build up my confidence. Um, so my first step in actually trading officially was to take some adverts on my blog, which, you know, it wasn't a lot of money at all, but it felt like quite a big deal in that I was 
asking for money for what I did. And I think for a lot of people, especially creatives and especially women as well, it's quite a big hurdle to get over and saying, like, actually, no, what I do is worthwhile and I'm going to charge people for it. Mm. Um, so I did that and started you know, officially trading, getting teensy, teensy, teensy bit of money on the side from my day job. Um, and then I'd also started doing some training courses at London College of Fashion in um, pattern making. And was, you know, blogging about the patterns that I was making and, and people, my blog readers were saying, oh, well, we'd love to make those patterns as well. Can you share them? So I thought, OK, maybe I will just try and release one pattern. So it was <laughs> it was a lot of work, but it's like nowhere near the sort of standard of patterns we do now in that I was doing literally everything myself from, you know, doing all the tech side of things to drafting the pattern. Um, I learnt to use Illustrator to make the technical diagrams. And it was literally just a Word document that you could download directly from the blog and print it out at home. Um, but immediately, I remember sort of clicking publish and then I think I went and made a cup of tea or something and then came back and was like, oh my God, we've had 50 downloads. Amazing. And it was that point where I was like, okay, maybe there is something in this. Um, so was that free to download or was No, 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 it was paid. Yes, you paid directly through the blog and then it would automatically send it to you by email. Amazing. Yeah, so that was the start of the patterns. Um, and for someone who doesn't know what a pattern is. Oh, yes. What is I a pattern? I wanted to say this. <laughs> so a sewing pattern is basically a template for cutting out the shapes that you would need in your size to make a garment and then the instructions telling you how to sew it together to make a coat or a dress or a skirt or whatever. So remember the first time I saw patterns, I was like, how the hell do people make these? Because <laughs> it just looks like some like crazy all sorts of different shapes obviously you sew together and then that makes the form of a thing how does it how do you create one from but then I suppose was that was that your thing is like this is super complicated let me make this more accessible exactly because traditional sewing patterns um are just this mess of lines they don't really have very many labels on them um and then the instructions will just say like attach sleeves uh, and <laughs> if you've never done and then they'll have a diagram and if you've never done that before you'd be looking at it going like what and you just put it away so with our sewing patterns I basically wanted not not those that first early pattern but our sewing patterns now um they've evolved to the point where they are beautiful color booklets they're all printed now you can download them as well but um they're mainly printed um, with colour photos of every step, so you can see exactly what it looks like as you're making it. Um, very inspiring. We translate all the technical jargon so that um, people can understand what they're doing. We've got lots of videos and free tutorials and things online to help people with a particular technique if they're stuck. And we give loads of tips and tricks. Um, so it's very sort of hand-holdy. And then the actual pattern sheets themselves, we label the seams. So we'll say... Um, you know, this is the waistline and this joins the waistband or whatever. Yeah. So people looking at the shapes can get a sense of, oh, okay, that's how it goes together. Because I remember my first sewing lesson, I nearly sewed up the armpits of the dress because it yeah. I'd never done it before. So it hadn't occurred to me that, yeah, that bit's the hole that your arm goes through. So it's just little things like that. And do all of the patterns, would they appeal to someone who's never sewed before? Or is there kind of yeah. like tears for... Yeah, so um, we do have... Actually, most of our patterns are sort of slightly more advanced, but we are known for being really good at beginner patterns and getting people into sewing. So people who uh, tell their friends, oh, here's how to start sewing, they usually recommend our patterns. So that's sort of has always been my focus if we need to make it accessible and inspiring to more people to get more people started and over that first hurdle what, what do you think it is that stops people making their own things? Because to me, it just sounds like a great idea. And why doesn't everyone do it? I think, well, there's a few things. I think obviously one big barrier is you need a sewing machine. Mm. Um, but there are lots of places now where you can go and try one out or you can go to a class. Um, and so many people just have a sewing machine stashed in their attic or yeah. in their understairs cupboard. So you can just ask around and, and try and get one. Um, I think for grown-ups, it is that thing of the fear of messing something up 
um, when you're creative. Because there's a lot of people, I used to teach sewing classes one-to-one and people would sort of come along and be like, oh, but oh, I'm really sorry I've messed that up. Um, but that's sort of part of the process that you, you're bound to mess things up and that's just expected and that's how you learn. So it's getting over that fear of not doing everything perfectly first time and just kind of going with it. That's probably the big thing. I think a lot of that comes down to school. Yeah. Where we're told that there's one correct answer for everything. And so then that carries on. And then when we do start to, and it's something that, I mean, with the podcast, it's one of the things that we're trying to get people over that hurdle Mm. of like, don't worry about messing it up. Like in whatever you do. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And actually that was one of my big inspirations when I started was a lot of people saying to me, oh, well, I did do some sewing at school, but I had this really scary textiles teacher. And if I did anything wrong, she'd make me unpick the whole thing. And um, it just really put me off. And so my whole approach um, with our whole brand is about, look, you're going to mess it up. It's fine. It doesn't really matter. This is where it does matter. And you might want to unpick that bit, but don't worry about that. And no one's really going to be looking. And it's just about enjoying the process and being proud of what you've made. Maybe it's lucky in a way then that you didn't, do it when you were younger and that you found it later on in life because it didn't like kill your joy of it yeah I completely agree because there's there's so many things that like one bad experience will put us off Uh, like we go oh that's not a thing that I'm ever going to do again because we've had one especially in childhood yeah if we get spoken down to or berated for something it's like okay I'm not good at that I won't ever look at it again yeah I'm Mm. terrified of sports from school from having to hide in the PE Mm. cupboard (laughs) just so bad at it (laughs) So at what point did it go from this little thing on the side to full-time sewing? So it was quite a gradual thing. So initially I was yeah just doing it all in my evenings and weekends. And then I decided to go part-time in my job. And my boss was, she was really good about it. She said, okay, well, why don't we say that you can go part-time for six months and then you can come back afterwards. And I think she sort of meant like, oh, this isn't really going to work. So <laughs> she was giving me a safety net, which was which That's was really, really, nice, really yeah. great of her. But it just put a fire in me. And I thought, right, I've got six months to make this work and to make this go full time. So um, I just worked my butt off, basically. And part time was this like three days a week, two days a week? Yeah, I was working three days a week um, and then just yeah, working evenings and weekends. And... Um, it was at the point where, well, the patterns itself, they, I was start, I got to the point where I was making sort of basically a salary mm-hmm. in my net profits. Um, but then I got my first book deal as well. And I thought, okay, it, this is it. This is now or never. I can't sort of just carry on working part time. I've got, I've got to really go for it and then have a plan B to go back to. Cause I'm quite a risk averse person, yeah. especially when it comes to financial things. So I was like, right, I'm going to. I think of some plan B's to fall back on, but I'm just going to go for it and, and try. And how long after the, when you first went part-time was that? So that was, oh, it was maybe three or four months. So quite quickly like then. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does your old manager miss you? <laughs> <laughs> they did get me back in a couple of times to do some training and then I was like, no, I can't keep coming in. <laughs> are, you, are you quite motivated by proving people wrong? Yes, definitely. Because as I think, especially if you're, if you do things online, you get a lot of online criticism, and you know people saying like, "Who's this upstart coming along?" Especially because I hadn't really been sewing for that long, I just got completely obsessed with it. Um, plus, you, as a woman, you do hear things from men in the industry. You know, sort of, if you're trying to buy something wholesale, someone would be like, "Oh, do you want to check with your husband?" And things like that. Um, and, and I also remember someone saying to me, I th- I'm sure they meant it as a compliment at the time, but they, it was a supplier and they'd come round to my flat where I was working at the time and they'd seen like, all these boxes everywhere. And they said, oh, wow, you've got a real cottage industry going here. And I'm sure they meant it as a compliment. But to me, I was like, cottage industry, <laughs> right. So it's all those little things that just sort of, yeah, really fired me up, made me think I've got a prove these people wrong and make them take me more seriously how do you deal with negativity online um so it's definitely been a big learning curve in dealing with it because it does it can be really really hurtful um but lots of different things that I remind myself I guess one is that it's not really about me it's you know especially if it's someone you don't know yeah it's about them and whatever they've got going on in their life and sometimes it's just 
it's just something completely wrong or people come up with these conspiracy theories about <laughs> things. I sort of try and keep myself blinkered away from it. Um, I try not to look at things online if it's if there's going to be something written about me or if I get like a you know you get a google alert from a press article or something I really don't like reading anything just in case um not you know obviously 99% of the time it's positive but I feel like I just I'm just not interested in dramas and getting involved in stuff like that um and yeah I guess just sort of thinking well, I'm actually doing something in the world and it's very easy to sit back and criticise, but you've actually just got to live your life and contribute to the world in some way and and create something. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to stop myself from doing that because I'm scared that someone's going to criticise what I'm doing. Um, And also just accepting that not everyone is going to like what you do. If you're going to create something of value, it is going to polarise people Mm. um, and... I would much rather be doing that than creating something really bland that no one's going to talk about. Yeah, because when we look at, at as Tilly and the Buttons as a brand, um, you're it's it's fresh, it's youthful. Like you don't like I've specifically noticed like there's no floral patterns of yeah. which I like for me if I think of sewing I'd probably my mind would go there first. Yeah, and so has that been a conscious decision to yeah, to stay away from that? It was. Yeah, I wanted to rethink sewing and, and basically make it more accessible to a younger audience who yeah maybe thought oh sewing's just for your grandma um so yeah we consciously avoid florals gingham bunting anything like bunting, that. Yeah. <laughs> <Bunting>. <laughs> yeah anything like that not that I've got anything against those things um but also there's lots of other brands out there who are doing that style of sewing and they do it really well mm. and we just want to be a bit different so we just have like quite fresh colors and graphic prints lots of stripes um and yeah just try and appeal to a different audience so what are the different um, revenue streams of the business so the main one is our line of patterns so we and that is majority from our online shop um and then we also sell those wholesale so we've got about 200 stockists around the world so that's most of those are independent haberdasheries who are just brilliant they're they love our stuff they're really good at promoting it they're super passionate about sewing they'll make samples and they're just great um but then also we've got some larger stockists like john lewis amazon um we are just about to launch online with Hobbycraft and if that goes well then they'll put them into their bricks and mortar shops which is exciting Mm -hmm. so yeah so that's the patterns and then we also have so I've written three books my third book Make It Simple has just come out at the end of February 2020 and it's all about quick and easy sewing um both for beginners who want something really simple to get themselves into it and more experienced stitchers who are looking for little shortcuts and time-saving tips and um, help to just fit more sewing into their life if they're really busy. Mm. What kind of things are in that book in terms of like what what kind of things can you make? So it's all really wearable garments so everyday kinds of things like t-shirts, dresses, cardigans and so there's patterns included in the book and all the instructions exactly how to make them but then also lots of sort of extra sewing tips but mm-hmm. basically I was inspired to write it because I've got a two-year-old little boy and when I had him I was just suddenly like oh my god how am I gonna ever find time to sew again like he gets up super early I'm always with him um it's very demanding and then when I'm when he's asleep I'm working and at some point I just thought I've got to just change the story I'm telling myself about not having time to sew and work out how to do this. So I managed to just work out some strategies to be able to fit sewing back into my life again and get really inspired. And I know that loads of other people struggle to sew as well or to do anything creative just because they don't have time or they think they don't have time. So, um, so yeah, so it's about sort of like time-saving tips and little strategies for how to sort of fit creativity into little pockets of time and just take all the stress out of it and what not to worry about, what to take your time with, but where you can cut corners mm. and just really enjoy the process. I think it, as you were saying that, I was like, just I thought of this product that you could create of like, because obviously when you have children, they grow very quickly and you constantly mm. have to buy new clothes for them. I was thinking, like, could you buy t- make something that you could just unstitch as it gets bigger? To 
Well, yeah. I mean, if you actually, if you look at a lot of children's clothes inside of them, they sometimes do have little functions like a little bit of elastic with a buttonhole that's cinching the, the waistband in and then you can unbutton that when they get bigger and make it a little bit bigger or they have like turn up hems that you can then unroll so yeah you're definitely on something yeah I, think, <laughs> I just think that's a great idea because people always complain about how expensive children's clothes are and how mm. quickly they go through them so to have something that you could go over a longer period of time would be really useful yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a lot Next of tailored business. trousers and things have yeah. big seam allowances so that if you put on weight, you can unpick them and get them restitched. Slightly bigger. That's interesting because <laughs> I feel like not a lot of people know that and they'd probably just buy some new trousers. Yeah, yeah. it depends if you're wearing tailored trousers. Yeah. So how, <laughs> does that, how does that manifest in, in your life then? Um, because, I mean, you're basically superwoman. Like, you're, you're, you've got kid, business... Uh-huh writing a book and you're still to- yeah. finding time to sew yeah. in your spare time I know I just don't no, I don't sleep no I do sleep um well so at the moment I officially work part-time so I go into the office three days a week and then the rest of the time I'm looking after my son but of course I am doing work as you know you yeah. don't you don't turn off you sort of fit it in where you can you're always thinking about it and you're always sort of catching up with emails and doing little bits on the side Um, It's definitely made me more efficient and um, it's made me a bit more focused and also I've got better at knowing when I've finished something because I think that's a really big thing, especially as creatives are often perfectionists and I definitely suffered from perfectionist tendencies, but you have to just at some point let go and be like, no, no, it's finished. This is, this is good. And it's, it's going out. Um, Yeah. It's hard to do. Yeah. At what point do you say that's done? Like, have you got kind of a level you set of that's good enough? Well, I mean, if it's a product, then it's got to be it's got to be really, really good mm. because I know that if there's something wrong with it, people will find it, and I'm just always hyper aware of it's got to be amazing and it's got to um, all come together perfectly and fit really well, and the instructions have got to be perfect. Yeah. Um, of course, things do slip through the net, but do you do a lot of testing when you do the patterns and like giving them to people who've and you yeah. don't say anything? Yeah, so our pattern development process takes quite a long time. It's probably about five or six months each one. Um, and we do internal testing, but then we also do external testing where we send it out to um, volunteers. I mean, we, do, we pay them a nominal fee, but it's just enough to buy materials and things. Um, and we ask them to follow the instructions word for word and to really look out for anything like missing notches or um, inconsistencies, things that don't quite make sense. And then they send us photos of the garment on them at the end. And then if they're a good tester, they'll send us loads and loads of feedback. And then we use that to improve the pattern before we put it out. Yeah, because we were talking about um, this the other day with the um, with the guys from Squiggly Careers. And they were saying that when you teach a workshop, you're you're there so you can say yeah. oh no no that this bit's wrong or you or or change mm-hmm. that bit but when it's when it's something that you've printed you have to go over every single eventuality because the person who's reading it can't then go excuse me what I don't know what's happening at exactly. this part exactly. so you've got to be so clear yeah well and that is really good training to do teaching beforehand because then you know what people are going to have questions about or Mm. the things that they're not going to understand and have stumbling blocks with. So I did quite a lot of um, teaching beforehand and I'm always thinking about that person who's never sewn before, is sat at home on their own looking at it going, what? And just trying to make sure that's super clear, especially because they've also spent money on fabrics and threads and all the bits and bobs that you need to actually make the garment. Um, So you don't want them to mess it up. It's so lucky that you can bring so much from your previous career into mm-hmm. into what you're doing currently, even though they're seemingly so non-related that yeah. you can take everything that you learned through, I, I guess, how to teach efficiently. Well, that's the thing. I kind of feel like you don't necessarily need to have gone to school or university for that subject that you then go on to do as your career later on because you learn so much just from different subject areas and doing different jobs and can just bring different skill sets and expertise into it so you know I'm not the world's best sewer and I certainly wasn't when I started but um I brought that awareness of 
the end user and thinking about audience development and always thinking yeah, from the user's point of view. And so going back to revenue streams, how did the wholesale stuff come about? Was that you just knocking on doors and... Yeah, sort of. And um, my first wholesale order came in unsolicited. Um, and then from there, we just sort of gradually built it up by um, approaching a few independent stockists. And but then from there, they they basically come to us. And um, we do do one trade show a year, where we get to meet them face to face. And then we do get new clients from that. But the independents, they love the products, they know the products, they know the sector. So often you don't actually have to do that much because they want it mm. with the bigger ones yeah I did have to go to them so with John Lewis um I well I went to pitch to them but actually it was like one of the best meetings ever they just basically pitched to me I hardly said anything. Yeah, <laughs> it was really good um Liberty they do an open day I don't know if you've seen watched that documentary about yes. yeah, I have, yeah. So they showed that on one of the episodes and I was there that day. Oh, cool. Um I queued all day. It was about five, six hours of queuing, um, with hundreds of other businesses, and you basically go up and you get about ten minutes to pitch to a panel of people in the department that you want to get stocked in. And luckily we were one of the companies that got stocked from that. So that was really good. Um yeah, yeah I, I suppose it's something that we found with our business is as soon as you're asked for something the first time, then you realise that it's someone wants it. So you mm-hmm. realise it's a thing. Mm. So for us, like we, we when we first started, we were just painting murals. But then when someone came to us and was like, can you do a workshop? We were like, oh, I guess workshops is a service. And then all yeah. of a sudden we're doing services. Yeah. I suppose it would have been the same with you for wholesale. You're all of a sudden like, oh, we can we can wholesale this. Yeah, totally. But it, it, I, I, my advice would be to people, if they think that one day they do want to sell a product wholesale, try and factor that into your price in the early days. Yeah. Because right. that's definitely one of the, the mistakes I made. Or I wouldn't say mistake, but it was definitely a big sort of learning experience of suddenly thinking, oh, actually, they've got their retail markup um and VAT and all those things that you don't think about when you're just making a few thousand pounds and then suddenly you hit the VAT threshold you've got to whack that onto your price as well um a, yeah a retail markup is going to be two to three times your wholesale price so it's all those things that you need to think about early on so were you were you pricing them too low or too high too low right because it didn't factor in that then they've got to times it by 2.4 Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we want to have, be selling it for the same price. I see. Um, but yeah, that's something you you learn quite quickly. <laughs> and how much of your like sales now come from like you directly compared to wholesale? The majority of it is still direct to customer, mm-hmm. but the wholesale side of our business is growing quite a lot. So it's I think last time we talked about it, it was roughly forty percent, maybe of the pattern sales. That is, yeah. So it it's a lot lower when you take the whole business because there's also the books and then we also do online workshops so I used to I mentioned that I used to teach sewing face to face but that was really limited in the numbers of people we could reach and we were getting people coming from literally like flying in from Europe to take a sewing class and I just thought this is crazy I want to make it easy for people yeah um and be able to reach more people. So we started basically filming them and turning them into workshops where it's great with sewing because you get, it's like you get a front row seat in the class and we've got the camera really close up on the needle. So you can see exactly what's happening. You can pause the lesson, you can rewind it. It's probably Um, better than in person. Yeah, yeah. I think it is because then you can also go back to it anytime you need it. So if it's, you know, two years later and you're putting in a zip and you're like oh how did she do that again then you can just go and just watch that little bit um plus it's cheaper for the customer it's really self-aware of you to to know that your why is making sewing accessible for everyone Mm. and then realize because for me i'd probably be like oh you're coming from italy wow that's really cool what an honor (laughs) and you're like actually no this is that doesn't that doesn't align with what i'm trying to do with the business yeah exactly i didn't just want it to be i don't know just a few people from south london and then that 
that odd person yeah. who can afford to fly in. I want to make it accessible for more people and people to yeah, stumble upon it and think, oh, I can do this. I can give this a go. This isn't so difficult. That's amazing. Um, so as your your blog, so if we go, go back a bit, as your blog is kind of growing um, and you've decided to go full time, I think one thing that we found hugely difficult was the decision to bring on our first member of staff because mm. you're now a team of six, right? Yeah. And so when did you think of bringing the first person on? So that was, it was about the same time that I realised I needed to move out of my flat and get separate office space because I just had boxes everywhere and it was just taking over my life. and Your affecting cottage my industry. Sleep. My yeah. cottage industry, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so I thought I just need someone part-time who can pack these orders um, so I, because I wasn't being, I wasn't able to do anything else. I was literally just stuffing envelopes, replying to customer emails. Um, and yeah, I needed to actually focus on the business and sort of do all the stuff to actually grow it and create new products and things. So I brought someone on part time initially to pack the orders, answer customer emails. And then bit by bit, she just started doing more things. I think just as I sort of learned to let go a little bit and, and delegate a bit more because that's a big thing is mm. um when it's your baby you want everything to be absolutely perfect um and especially when you've taught yourself everything and you're just sort of figuring things out as you go along from sort of you know building a website to um how to design something then handing stuff over it, it can be quite scary but also getting the right people so that they think they have that mentality of okay I don't know how to do this but I'm going to figure it out we don't have an IT department so I'm gonna google how to do this thing and, and sort it out myself so yeah it's a big learning curve so when you took on that first person what skills did you look for in someone that you could trust to give away a bit of your baby to I think having someone who's just really enthusiastic about doing anything that they need to do in order to help the business and someone who yeah, it's just able to take new things on and to, you know, you don't want someone who is one of those people who are like, oh, that's not my job. Um, mm. <laughs> you know, you need someone who's who's going to have some enthusiasm and, and fire in them to actually uh, try things out and uh, figure stuff out as you go along and to be really helpful. And I mean, I'm really lucky that my team are all really, really enthusiastic about the brand and about the products. Um they have an amazing sense of camaraderie as well. They all just get on really well and they help each other out with things. Um, so, yeah, that's an incredible resource to have. I'm really lucky, especially because I work part-time. So I can't be there all the time. And when I am there, I've got so much stuff to do yeah. that I'm just head down a lot of the time. So it's great to know that they can just get on with things. When you employed, do you have that thought in the back of your mind of like, will these people get on with the rest of the team rather than them just being great at what they do? Yeah, definitely. Because it, it's not just about me. It is about just, it's about the whole team now. Um, with us, I'm, I mean, we definitely found it difficult to like, give up that control. And I remember in the early mm. days, um, specifically going through people's emails and rewriting an entire email and then thinking, you know what, For, firstly, that person is going to be upset that you've that you've completely changed what they were yeah. going to say. And you're basically telling them, no, this is rubbish just because it's not the way that you would do it. Yeah. And so I had to I had to quickly let go of that and go, it's not what I would say, but I've got to let you if you believe that that's what you should say to the client, then I've got to mm -hmm. let you you run with it. Yeah, definitely. That is something that I am I am working on because it's so yeah, it's it is really hard to let go of control when you want something to be perfect. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I do still do a lot of editing because I'm really pernickety about grammar, and obviously you want something to actually make sense. And, yeah, you know, otherwise you you do get people writing in. Mainly my mum. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you do have to sort of hand things over to people and and let them contribute their ideas and yeah. put their creative spins on things. Um, yeah, I think that's that's for us. I mean, we as as business owners, we've decided that we want this life and that we want to put ourselves through mm -hmm. the ridiculous stresses of of running your own business. But for the people that 
that work for you. They've not signed up for that. But that doesn't mean that they're not like an integral part of the business and that they don't have a say and they don't, I mean, because you want them to be happy when they go into work every day. And I think them being able to shape the company and you being open to to everyone's opinions of the place where they work, because at the end of the day, like they're all like probably want the brand to be successful because then they're in a job where everything's successful. Exactly, exactly. It's, yeah, that that's it it's not just about you and oh they're just there to sort of do what you tell them it's actually getting people's contributions to ideas and so that they're just really on board with everything you've um just hit your 10 year anniversary of um, Mm -hmm. from when you started blogging i think it's amazing that it's like it's so easy to track because you started your blog (laughs) on the 1st of january 2010 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's when I started the blog. The business side of it, as I said, came a bit later. Um, but yeah, it was on. I was hungover, and it was a dare to start. The it, was blog. A dare. it was a dare. Yeah, it was my then my ex boyfriend, my then boyfriend at the time, who sort of said, "Oh, you should. You're reading these sewing blogs. You need to start one yourself." I was like, "All right, I will. I'm going to do it right now." I just opened up my laptop and just typed in the first name I thought of and it stuck. <laughs> what platform did you use when you first started? I used Blogger and I'm still using Blogger because I'm too scared to move it over to something else. So we've got a separate shop site, yeah. which is on Shopify. And ideally they would be together because we get so much blog traffic. But I just don't want to mess with it. <laughs> I don't want to sort of ruin the SEO plus there is so much content on there. So I don't want to move it and then suddenly have to start again. Well, one of the amazing things of it being on Blogger is that you, you have the counter on there. So I think you're up to, what is it, 24 million views now? Something like that, yeah. It's, it's insane. <laughs> it's crazy. I know, I know. I thought, <laughs> it was, I thought it was really cool when I was going, yeah, going, through, um, going through the blog. Um, but so obviously that that grew really slowly. Um, then when, and, and you said like you didn't really have a, a strategy for it it was just put out good content when social media and things started to become present did you have have you got a social media strategy or are you still of the mindset of let's just create cool content yeah I mean initially I was a little bit resistant to Instagram <laughs> I remember people saying to me no no no, you need to get on this I was like all right I'll I'll go on it um and that for us has been massive at least I think it is because the annoying thing with Instagram is that you can't really see how much that is impacting upon your sales um because it Instagram wants to keep you on Instagram so it's very difficult to actually buy something if you click on someone's profile or a link um you often just sort of get bounced back or your PayPal's not working or something um so we're just trusting that people are then opening and separate web browser and going on our shop and buying stuff. But we've got um, 150,000 followers on Instagram at the moment. Um, So that has really helped us to just open up to a much bigger audience. And I guess our strategy with that is just to let people share it with with their friends. So that has just helped us so much because someone will use one of our patterns they'll make something and then they'll take a photo of themselves and be super, super proud of what they've made. And then their friends will see that and go, oh, wow, I could do that too. Advertises itself. Exactly, exactly. So that is the brilliant thing about social media. Um, In terms of strategy, I guess my thing has always been um, make it obvious what you do from the point of view of someone who has stumbled upon your profile and give them a really clear sense of, your brand just from an immediate glance so that's why I'm a real stickler for everything matching color wise <laughs> so like I have my nails will coordinate with the fabric that I'm demonstrating on um, and we have a particular color palette that we try to stick to as much as possible um, so that if someone has stumbled upon a hashtag or has just decided to click on our profile because they've seen their friends made a dress yeah. or whatever they can immediately see oh I like those colours or I can get a sense of what that brand is. Oh, there's a sewing machine. They do sewing. Oh, it's very fresh and modern. Um, okay, I will follow them. So, yeah, that's our that's our approach. Amazing. And how do you find your, um, your models that you post up on Instagram? So our models are um, basically people who either friends 
people who we know or people who from the sewing community who we are insta stalking. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we don't like to use professional models because we just think it's nice seeing something on someone who you might know um we like to have different shapes and sizes um diversity of, of models and just people who kind of look more natural as well and aren't doing the kind of classic moody model poses because we we like models to smile as well yeah. <laughs> and just look really happy because that is our brand um yeah so we just insta stalk people and ask our friends <laughs> Amazing. So it feels like you're you're not only like you don't just have followers, you're building up kind of a community, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's always been about community, I think, from the early days of doing the blog. Um, and there is a really strong online sewing community. It's like a modern sewing circle, mm. but just all around the world with hundreds of thousands of people. We talk to a lot of people, um, especially when it comes to like social media and stuff about comparison culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you've got you've got quite a strong opinion on uh, on that. Do you do you suffer from comparison? I try not to because I know it's a big thing that a lot of people fall into that comparison trap, especially when you're either your own boss or you're um, working from home and you sort of turn to social media to sort of, I guess, get a little bit of company and not feel so lonely it's easy to just look at people who are doing something in your field or in another field and think like oh god well they're doing that or should I be doing that as well and they're more successful than me by the looks of it um and actually I think it's so important to just stay completely focused on what you're doing so something that really helped me in the early days is this mantra which is cultivate your own garden So if you spend all your time peering over the fence at what your neighbours are doing, that is not going to help your garden to grow. So, you know, you need to just like stop looking at your competitors and what they're doing and just stay completely blinker focused on your own stuff. Especially because I think a lot of people will look at another company and think, oh, well, they're doing that. So it must be working for them. So I'm going to do it too. But you don't know that. You don't, you've got mm. no proof that it's working for them. Of course, from, if you're just looking at an Instagram post, it's going to look all shiny and like they're doing really well, but you have got no idea what's going on behind closed doors. Um, so it's not necessarily working for them, let alone, is it going to work for you? So yeah, I think it's just about staying true to yourself and knowing exactly who your audience is and accepting that you're not going to please everyone and you don't want to please everyone. You need to just be really focused on you and that's how you're going to grow. So you would say um, to kind of find a niche and stick to it? Yeah, definitely, because I think a lot of people, especially people like me who have people-pleasing tendencies, you you want to please everyone and you don't like getting those sort of nasty comments or the customer was going, oh, but I want this or why isn't this like this? But you just, you can't please everyone, especially as a small business. You don't have the resources of a big company like Coca-Cola. And if you try and do something that's going to appeal to everyone, you're just going to spread yourself really thin. You're going to create a product or a service that is probably quite bland and that no one's really going to remember. Whereas if you you have in your mind your ideal customer and you know exactly who you want to appeal to and create everything like every single post that you write every single product or service that you put out there you think okay that is for that person then you're going to create something that a small group of people are going to absolutely love and they're going to tell all their friends about it and that's how to build a business that's really going to make an impact how do you work out who your ideal customer is so i think it probably is going to be for a lot of people someone who is like you in a lot of ways um or if you have sort of already started your business you probably know the kind of person who your product or service really appeals to and I think it's about really just delving deep into everything about that person and just creating a sort of avatar for this person okay so for example when I started and probably still is the same person I just made up this person in my head who's called Hannah and she's a publishing assistant and she likes these certain brands. She reads these magazines. If she could afford it, she would shop at these shops, but she can't afford it. Um, And, you know, what are her... It's not just all those outward-facing things, but also, like, what are those secret fears she has? What are those 
secret hopes and dreams and how do you really tap into that person's mindset and make them feel just really excited about what you're offering would you say you're a goal setter oh yeah definitely yeah you've got to have goals because if you don't you will just basically be floating around and especially if you if you've got an online presence or if you're a business you get approached by people to do all kinds of different things I've got loads of emails in my inbox at the moment for you know like do some pay consultancy for a company do um uh, product reviews and sponsorship and go to random meetings and things and it's like if I did all of those different things I would be being led by someone else's agenda so I think you've got to think of exactly where you need to go to set those goals and stay completely focused on achieving them and try not to sort of flit around too much doing lots of different things I always used to keep this post-it note on my monitor saying is this going to help me achieve my goals? So that if I would get those emails, I would just see that and be like, no, and just have to learn to say no to things. Even if it's something that's great, you know, it's paid or it sounds fun or it's really prestigious, long term, if that's not going to help you to reach those goals, then you could just end up in some random place. You need to know where your business is going. Wonderful. Well, Tilly, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Tell people where they can find you online. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really love your podcast. I listen to it all thank the time. You. Oh, thanks. It's one of my favourites. Um, so you can find me online on social media. It's at Tilly Buttons, T-I-L-L-Y, Buttons. Um, our shop is shop.tillyandthebuttons.com and our blog is tillyandthebuttons.com. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you get any value from these episodes, it would mean the world to us if you could share the podcast with someone who needs it. You can always reach out to us on Instagram at rebelscreate or head over to creativerebels.co. And remember, always be creating. See ya.